previously on Too Close to Home. We talk about Sylvia Likens and her abuse at the hands of Gertrude Banaswuski and her children. And uh, we're about to go into how dark it gets. Let's go. Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell it. And that was Sylvia. Insert sap face. Insert sap. I love starting out with heartwarming stories, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so this is part two of the murder of Sylvia Likens. And I'll just reiterate my sauces. Part two, two, two. <laughs> this is Becky? Oh, yeah. This is Jen. <laughs> this is too close to home. I don't know who I am. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> you know us. If you clicked on the podcast, of course you do. <laughs> Please. Maybe not. Might be first time listening. <gasps> if you're you first, are, welcome. Time. Thank you. Okay. How do you find us? Let us know. <laughs> Drop in our DMs. <laughs> so, of course, uh, we're going to pick up right before she goes into the basement. So, Sylvia's last day of school was October 6th, which was the day that her parents visited. Gertrude told the school Sylvia had no interest in going and pretended to be concerned. In reality, reality Gertrude had banned Sylvia to the cold basement. Hmm. A neighbor had also reported the incidents to the public health nurse who, upon entering the home and not seeing Sylvia, for she was locked in the basement, concluded that nothing was wrong. Wait a minute. Hold on. Back up. Yeah. Stop the track. She got a call that something's wrong with Sylvia. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Didn't find Sylvia. So she's like, it must be cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Just making sure. (laughs) She should have been fired. Gertrude had also managed to convince the nurse that she had kicked the Likens girls out, both Jenny and Sylvia. So, like, are they there or are they not? Like, your story already ain't even matching, and you're just going, like, it's cool, it's cool. She's fine. The legal guardian of these two children, so to speak, that are minors, and you kicked them out, and that's cool, cool, too. We're not going to do any follow-up? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Just making sure I was understanding everything. Fuck them children. Okay. (laughs) So I can do that with mine? (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Cool. Listen, JK, I love my children. I don't know why this is the most hilarious thing. I could imagine Emma showing up on my doorstep with her little backpack, her little (laughs) tiny self going, my mom threw me out. Just like that. (laughs) She's like, so I live here now. Excuse me. She wouldn't even knock. She'd just come in like we do. Yeah, like, duh. You'd be like, what do I hear upstairs? When's the pizza arriving? (laughs) Where's my ice cream and a coconut? (laughs) I only drink sweet tea. Thanks. Yeah, you can tell she's abused, huh? (laughs) She has a really hard life, okay? (laughs) So hard. The immediate neighbors, because there's pictures of the house. It's in a neighborhood, and there's houses all around it, right? And they're screaming and hollering and shit carrying on in this house. The immediate neighbors were a middle-aged couple named Raymond and Phyllis Vermillion. Both initially viewed Gertrude as an ideal caregiver for the like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they both uh, visited the Banaswuski residence on two occasions while the girls had been under Gertrude's care. On both occasions, however, the Vermillions witnessed Paula physically abusing Sylvia, who on both occasions had a black eye and openly boasting about her mistreatment of the child to them. 
Upon the second visit of the Banaszewski household, both observed Sylvia to appear extremely meek and somewhat zombified in nature. But she's an ideal caregiver. I guess you got to put your mind in the 60s when beating your kids was okay. Yeah. That's how you make them better. Yeah. Nevertheless, the Vermilions uh, never reported the evident mistreatment to the police. Jenny was threatened, bullied, and beaten by the Banaszewskis and the neighbor girls alike should she go to the authorities. The violence only escalated here and nothing was off limits. Sylvia was often kept naked, rarely fed, and frequently deprived of water. Occasionally, she was tied to the railing of the basement stairs with her feet barely touching the ground. Paula once beat Sylvia's face until she broke her wrist. For fuck's sakes. Doctors put a cast on her arm while Paula bragged about exactly how she broke it. To the, to to the, the hospital. Yes. And when she got home, she continued to hit Sylvia, but this time with her cast. Oh, Jesus Christ. I feel like those oaths that they have doctors and nurses take, that's been around for a hot minute, okay? Yeah. <laughs> the do no harm shit. I Mandatory like, reporters. I feel like you should have done something about it. Did you have fiver or something? the 60s. You're allowed <sighs> to beat your kids. Gertrude eventually allowed Sylvia to sleep back upstairs on the condition that she learned not to wet herself. Well, she's underfed, malnourished, dehydrated, a zombie, beaten. Oh, girl, how could she control herself? That night, Sylvia whispered to Jenny to secretly give her a glass of water before falling asleep. And the following morning, Gertrude discovered that she had urinated on herself. Of course she had. Yeah. As a punishment, Sylvia was forced to insert an empty Coca-Cola bottle into her vagina in the presence of the Banaszewski children before Gertrude ordered her back into the basement. I just want to go take this baby and take her home and just hug her and feed her and give her something to drink. Because, like, there were so many opportunities for them to be saved. That's what's heartbreaking. I mean, it would be heartbreaking even if the opportunities weren't there. But, you know, it's kind of like when did the case over the little girl with the 911 calls. Little mm-hmm. girl because she was 21. And the, the when the missed opportunities presented, it just makes it more heart-wrenching. Oh, speaking of which, as I was flipping through TikTok this morning, that story came up again. Did it? And it was the recording. And it, like, pictures of her. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. That one I'll never forget. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, Gertrude shouted for Sylvia to return the kitchen, ordered her to strip naked before proclaiming to her, you branded my daughters, now I'm going to brand you. She began to carve the words, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, onto Sylvia's abdomen with a heated needle. When Gertrude was unable to finish the branding, she instructed one of the neighborhood children present, 14-year-old Richard Hobbs, to finish etching the words into Lycan's flesh as she took Jenny to a nearby store. I bet these fucking hillbillies couldn't even spell those words right. Mm-hmm. I wonder how it would have been I'm sorry, spelled. I shouldn't say hillbillies. If you're a hillbilly, I apologize. <laughs> I don't mean to, uh, what do they call it, malign hillbillies? Because hillbillies, uh, one thing I'll tell you, my general knowledge of hillbillies is they don't do shit like this. No. They just be making some moonshine good old boys. Well, I love some moonshine. Yeah, so I shouldn't have even used that word. 
Get woke, okay? I know. <laughs> I love me a good hillbilly. <laughs> Watch it. Now you're going to have a fan base of hillbillies, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, that's the fucking dream right there, bro. Like, can <laughs> you guys just mail us moonshine? Because that would be balling. Like, homemade apple pie moonshine. Oh, my I'm God. I'm here for it. My best friend, he had a bunch of um, lemon drop moonshine at his wedding, and they brought it yeah. over. They brought me, when they, they went on, like, their uh, honeymoon and drove all over the U.S., and then they came by here, and they dropped off a whole jar of it and jimmy was like this is the best present ever <laughs> exactly <laughs> and what hobbs would later insist were short light etchings he continued to brand the text into lichen's abdomen as she clenched her teeth and moaned both hobbs and 10 year old shirley then led her into the basement where each proceeded to use an anchor bolt in an attempt to burn the letter s beneath lichen's left breast although they applied one section of the loop backwards and this deep burn scar would resemble the number three. Gertrude later taunted Sylvia by claiming that she would never be able to marry due to the words carved in her stomach, stating, Sylvia, what are you going to do now? You can't get married now. What are you going to do? Sylvia replied, I guess there's nothing I can do. Mm. And that's like heartbreaking because that's how she's been this whole time. There's nothing I can do. Later that day, she was forced to display the carving to neighborhood children, with Gertrude claiming that she received the inscription at a sex party. That night, Sylvia confided into her sister, Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die, and I can tell it. Mm. Gertrude could tell, too, and so she forced Sylvia to write a note in which she told her parents that she'd run away. Sylvia was also forced to write that she'd met up with a group of boys and given them sexual favors, and afterward... They beaten her and mutilated her body. Shortly after this, she overheard Gertrude tell her children that she was going to take Sylvia to a forest and leave her there to die. And honestly, like, I'd be like, please do. Please, oh, I would too. Please leave me in the forest because at least I have a better chance. Yeah. And I'd rather die in a forest laying under the trees than I would in your filthy basement why people carve things into my body. With fucking just random ass shit. Nothing would sound better brands. than to lay in the wet leaves and just die in the forest alone than there. With the sounds and of nature. And that is sad. Yeah. After she finished writing the letter, Sylvia was then again tied to the stair railing and offered crackers to eat. Although she refused them, saying, give it to the dog. I don't want it. Because she... Oh, why? At she had point, no. Let me hasten it. Yeah. I want to die. She had no moisture in her mouth, so she's eating oh, crackers. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. And then it just like also been starving, so that's probably making her fucking nauseous as shit. So in response, Gertrude forced the crackers into her mouth before she and John beat her, particularly around the stomach. Sylvia actually did attempt to escape. She managed to get out the front door, but before Gertrude caught her. And with the assistant of Coy Hubbard, the boy that beat her earlier, which is Stephanie's boyfriend, Gertrude beat Sylvia with a curtain rod until she fell unconscious. Then she came back and stomped on her head. Nice. That evening, Sylvia desperately attempted to alert neighbors by screaming for help and hitting the walls of the basement with a spade. One immediate neighbor would later inform police that she had heard the desperate commotion that she, and that she had identified the source as emanating from the basement of... 3850 East New York Street, but the noise had suddenly ceased at approximately 3 a.m. She decided not to inform the police about the disturbance. Of course. Fucking say something, say something. Yeah. 
If you hear somebody going, help, motherfucker, call the police. Let them go do a drive-by. Just Take a little peek window. Just a little peek. Yeah. That's what they're there for. You're not wasting their time. Yeah. Let them decide if it was just some kids acting up or something or if there's something. Someone fucking locked in the basement. It's a basement. If you hear yelling and help, it's probably not good. If it's just a fucking kid doing that, then that's an educational opportunity on fucking crying wolf and shit. Like, come on, man. There's no way that you can't call the cops and not have something better come of it. I mean, I did see something one time and not say something, but, you know. What happened? <laughs> I woke up to like this commotion. I don't know if I told you about this, Jennifer. I woke up to like this commotion. Was that out. the one that like, JJ was asleep and then there was like that person outside your apartment? Yes. And she was like half naked getting out of a car and then she was banging on the window. Mm-hmm. And then the person like sped off and then she's stumbling around half naked. And I'm like, what just happened? And so I was scared to go out. She looked really intoxicated or drugged. I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm like following her around the windows as she's walking. And then when I finally did go out, I couldn't find her. Didn't you say that you were watching for like uh, missing people? Yes. <laughs> In my defense, once I decided like, okay, it took me a little bit to get woke and realize what I was even watching going on. And the person seemed to be dropping her off at home and trying to get rid of her to get leave them the fuck alone. She Could've was been a bad day. banging on their window trying to get back in the car. So... I figured she wasn't in immediate danger. Whoever was driving away seemed to be in more danger than her. Yeah. Lovers quarrel. Shit got too hot at the club. I don't know. I don't know either. I guess you just have to use your best judgment in those situations. My best judgment should have been see, see something, say something. See something, say I something. I probably should have just called the cops and let them come in, investigate whether the situation was okay. Oh, yeah. And, and then if the person was in the car that was, you know, you could have saved them. What if they're dead now, Becky? Thanks, Jennifer. <laughs> Thanks. I'm going to go cry in the bathroom now. Excuse me, guys. If you don't you hear me. You can't cry. You don't have feelings. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> Sorry. We digress. Carry on. It's like we get off on these tangents and we start joking and then I come back and it's immediately sad. Okay. <laughs> on the morning of October 26, 1965, Sylvie was unable to either speak intelligibly, or correctly coordinate the movement of her limbs. She became delirious, repeatedly moaning and mumbling, and when Paula asked her to recite the English alphabet, she was unable to recite anything beyond the first four letters or to raise herself off the ground. In response, Paula verbally threatened her to either stand up or she would inflict a long jump upon her. Gertrude then ordered Sylvia, who had defecated, to clean herself. Yeah, because I'm sure she could do that right now. Oh, yeah. Because if she's defecating herself, she's got that control, right? And she can't even say the alphabet or coordinate her arms or legs. Yeah, sounds like she's faking. Fucking. Uh, both of us. Uh. That afternoon, several of Sylvia's other tormentors gathered in the basement. Lycans jerkingly moved her arms in an apparent attempt to point at faces of her tormentors. She could recognize making such statements as, You're Ricky and you're Gertie. Before Gertrude tersely shouted, shut up, you know who I am, because everybody called her Gertie, which also is like a horrible name. (laughs) Sorry if your name's Gertrude or Gertie. I'm just saying. In this instance, it's a horrible name. It's a horrible one. (laughs) Minutes later, Sylvia unsuccessfully attempted to bite into a rotten pear she had been given to eat, stating that she could feel the looseness in her teeth. Upon hearing this, Jenny replied, don't you remember, Sylvia? 
Your front tooth was knocked out when you were seven. Jenny then left Sylvia in the basement to perform gardening chores for neighbors in the hope of earning spending money. Because I guess, you know, it has to be a paralyzing situation. The only other person that you can trust and love in this world is downstairs dying and you're going to earn money to go buy candy? Uh, no, I, I I don't get it, but... I feel like it's... um Defense like, mechanism? Yeah, like a trauma response. Like, and you're probably right. I'm like, just sickened by this right now and I'm pissed off at everybody involved. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I get that totally. Like I Also, the fact that a lot of times that she would say, beat me instead of Jenny, the fucking guilt that Jenny probably had. I'm sure. Nobody asked for this. No. Poor babies. In an attempt to wash Sylvia, a laughing John Jr. Spayed, sprayed her with a garden hose brought to that house that afternoon by Randy Lepper at Gertrude's ex- request. Likens again desperately attempted to ex- exit the basement but collapsed before she could reach the stairs. In response to this effort, she stomped on Likens' head before standing and staring at her for several moments. Fucking Gertie. At 5.30 p.m., Richard Hobbs returned, and he's the one that was, like, sketching into her stomach, and he immediately proceeded into the basement. He slipped on the wet basement stairs and fell, hell, yeah, <laughs> fell heavily to the floor of the basement to be confronted by the sight of Stephanie crying and cuddling Sylvia's emaciated and lacerated body after she'd been ordered by her mother to clean Sylvia. Now, Paula and Sylvia butted heads and was Paula full on did a lot of I feel like Stephanie while she did participate in some of it did have a like some love for Sylvia I guess like she in her own fucked up way I don't know how to explain it but uh I think that it was probably all fun and games so to speak until the validity of it all yeah comes crashing down she probably realized like fuck this she's about to die this is not fun this is not this This is is fucking real real." (laughs) yeah Stephanie and Richard then decided to give Sylvia a warm, soapy bath and dress her in new clothes. Then they laid her on the mattress in one of the bedrooms as Sylvia muttered her final wish that her daddy was here and that Stephanie would take her home. Stephanie then turned to her younger sister, Shirley, exclaiming, oh, she'll be all right. And which is, no, she's not. (laughs) When Stephanie realized that she was not breathing, she attempted to apply mouth-to-mouth resuscitation as Gertrude repeatedly shouted to the children in the house that Likens was faking her death. (laughs) Fake news (laughs) I I don't even know what to do other than laugh I've seen a lot of patients Fake shit but they have never Faked ceasing breathing Like I feel like she probably would look Like a holocaust survivor Um yeah Because of the extended starvation And like she's obviously delirious I'm sure there's some Brain swelling and yeah. some possible internal bleeding. I'm just saying she probably looks dead when she's alive. Yeah. So the fact that she's going, she's faking is like, oh, Gertie, come on now. <laughs> you know what you did. Mm. Gertrude would actually take a book and beat her corpse with it, screaming faker, faker, in order to wake her up. However, she soon panicked and instructed Richard Hobbs to call the police. And when the police arrived at her address at 6.30 p.m., Gertie led the officers to Sylvia's emaciated, extremely extensively bludgeoned and mutilated body upon a soiled mattress in the bedroom. Gertrude handed Sylvia's letter to the police, 
told them that she had ran away and recently returned injured, clutching the note. Gertrude feigned grief and claimed that she was doctoring Sylvia. Clutching a Bible, Paula, having stated to all present in the household that Sylvia's death was meant to happen, then glanced in Jenny's direction and calmly stated, If you want to live with us, Jenny, we'll treat you like our own sister. That would be fucking chilling. Yeah. To know your sister just fucking died at the hands of these people, and she was your only bit of protection yeah. from that. And now they're going to start setting their sights on you. Mm-hmm. And That's she's exactly what they're doing. Pretty much alluding to that in that term. We'll treat you like your own sister. You mean treat him like my own sister? She is. Yeah. As previously instructed by Gertrude, Jenny Likens recited the rehearsed version of events leading to Likens' death to the police before whispering to the officers, you get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. Which, bravo, Jenny. Yeah. Which I like, I know that she, they were probably both really afraid to say anything to their parents before, but to know that like the gravity of the situation at her young age and be like, fuck it, finally I have to say something. It, I'm going to die either way. It's either die and tell the cops or just die, you know? Yeah. So the autopsy of Sylvia's 16-year-old body revealed that she had suffered in excess of 150 separate wounds across her entire body, in addition to being extremely emaciated at the time of her death. The wounds themselves varied in location, nature, severity, and the stage of healing. Her injuries included burns, severe bruising, and extensive muscle and nerve damage. Her vaginal cavity was almost swollen shut. Moreover, all of Lankin's fingernails were broken backwards, and the most external layers of skin upon the child's face, breast, neck, and right knee had peeled and receded. In her death rows, Lankin's had evidently bitten through her lips, partially severing sections of them from her face. It's almost like her body was already decaying while she was still alive, decomposing. The fact that she survived as long as she did is actually amazing because I, I feel like... Amazing and sad. It is. I, I don't know if I could have held that light. I don't know. The official cause of Lycan's death was listed by coroner Dr. Arthur Cabell as a subdural hematoma due to her receiving a seer, severe blow to her right temple. See, brain bleeding, like I said, mm-hmm. and swelling. And, you know, like Gertrude did stomp on her head, so I feel like that was like that final... Well, once you said she couldn't formulate words and move her arms, then I knew she had brain bleeding and swelling and damage at that point. It wasn't just the dehydration and malnutrition at that point anymore. Now there's nerve things going on. Oh, yeah. Both the shock she had primarily suffered due to the severe and prolonged damage inflicted to her skin and subcutaneous tissues, plus the severe malnutrition was listed as Contributory factors to her death. Sure. Rigor mortis had fully developed at the time of the discovery of her body, indicating that she may have been deceased up to eight hours before she was found. Dr. Cabell did note that she had been recently bathed, possibly after death, and that this act could have hastened the loss of body temperature and thus sped on the onset of rigor mortis. So when Stephanie and John were washing her, she was most likely already dead. December 30th, 1965, Marion County Grand Jury returned first-degree murder indictments against Gertrude Brennan-Swooski and two of her three oldest children, Paula and John. Also indicted was Richard Hobbs and Coy Hubbard. All were charged with having repeatedly struck, beaten, kicked, and otherwise inflicted a culmination of fatal injuries to Sylvia Likens with premeditated malice. 
Three weeks prior to filing the indictments against the five defendants, Stephanie Banaswuski was had been released from custody upon a writ of habeas corpus bond, with her attorney successfully contending that the state had insufficient evidence to support any murder or culmination of fatal injury charges against her. Stephanie waived her immunity from any potential impending prosecution while agreeing to testify against her family and other individuals charged with abusing and murdering Sylvia. So, I'm not going to say that she's a hero. Stephanie is not. Oh, she is not. She's fucking horrible. Awful. But, I mean, I'm glad that she did testify, even if it was to save her own fucking ass. Yeah, that's the only reason why, is to save her own fucking ass. I just broke another nail. Yes, she did. <laughs> I told you it was really it's been overdue. a sad podcast all around. You I know. lost two nails during two fucking two. nails. Bummer. There were several witnesses called at trial. On May 2nd and 3rd, Jenny Likens testified against all five defendants, stating that each had repeatedly and extensively, both physically and emotionally, abused her sister, adding that Sylvia had done nothing to provoke the assaults, and there had been no truth in either the rumors that she had been falsely accused of spreading or the slurs each made against um, Sylvia's character. During her testimony, Jenny stated that abuse her sister and to, her, to a much lesser degree, she had herself had endured, began approximately two weeks after they began to live in Gertrude's household. And that as the abuse of her sister was forced to endure, escalated, Likens had occasionally been unable to produce tears due to her acute state of dehydration. How dehydrated do you have to be to not be able to cry? Pretty fucking dehydrated. Jimmy's Fun Facts. It takes up to an approximate 5% total body fluid loss in order for the tear ducts to stop producing. While that does not sound like a huge percentage, keep in mind that it only takes 10% fluid loss for your body to start deteriorating, and that these losses come quickly with exponentially worsening side effects. It is generally said that a human being can only survive for about three days without water, but this is more of a rough rule as opposed to a hard rule. In reality, for better or worse, one could survive longer, with some otherwise healthy people having survived dehydration for 21 days before passing. Sections of Jenny Likens' testimony was later corroborated by that of Randy Lepper, who stated he had once witnessed Likens crying, but she had shed no actual tears. Lepper also testified to having witnessed, witnessed Stephanie strike Likens real hard after her mother had ordered her to remove her clothes in his presence. He then visibly smirked as he confessed to having beaten Likens on anywhere between 10 and 40 separate instances. 10 and, and 40? Huh? And smirked why he did it. Oh, yeah. Some of these um, interviews are actually recorded, and it's like... Oh, mm-mm. No, thank you. Don't How did you him. not, like, beat the brakes off this kid? Oh, yeah. You talking about the police? That. I would have been under the jail. I would have slapped the smirk off that motherfucker's face. Mm. Especially after, you know these cops have probably had seen the, the body. Oh, yeah. So you know. Yeah. And especially, and please take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, especially... There was no reason for it. Not that there ever is a reason to do that, but there was really no fucking reason. None. What? Not even a glimmer. Not like, I mean, not saying that if she was a bad kid out doing shit, I would understand, but you can sometimes see how situations like that escalate to something they shouldn't have. But there was no reason. This baby had done nothing at all 
again, I know no one does, but you know what I'm implying. Yeah. You know? It's just unfathomable. The only thing she did was live and breathe. Yeah. Just because her daddy was late on payment one time, that became the excuse. Gertrude was just a fucked up individual. Yeah. On May 10th, a Baptist minister named Roy Julian testified to having known a teenage girl being having known a teenage girl was being abused. Although he had failed to report this information to the authorities as having been informed by Gertrude that Likens had made advances to men for money, he had believed the girl was being punished for soliciting. First of all, she wasn't even soliciting, okay? Gertrude made that shit up. The same day, 13-year-old Judy Duke also testified, admitting to have witnessed Likens once endure salt being rubbed into sores on her legs until she screamed. She also testified that one occasion where she witnessed 10-year-old Shirley rip over, rip open Sylvia's blouse, to which Richard Hobbs made the casual remark, everybody's having fun with Sylvia. Hmm. The following day, Gertrude testified in her own defense. She had denied any responsibility for Likens' prolonged abuse, torment, and ultimate death, claiming her children and the other children within the neighborhood must have committed the acts within her home, which she described as being such a madhouse. I'm sorry. My house has never been so mad that somebody ended up being severely emaciated and abused in, in yeah, my basement. Yeah, because that didn't happen overnight. No, that was a long time of torture. Yeah. It takes a long time for someone to become emaciated. She also added that she'd been too preoccupied with her own ill health and depression to control her children. Then fucking give them up for adoption. Yeah. Don't take on more that aren't even yours. Exactly. She also, um, in, in response to questioning relating to whether she had physically abused the Lycan sisters, Gertrude claimed that she had started to spank Lycans on one occasion. Oh, Jesus Christ. And she was emotionally unable to finish to do so and had not hit the child any further occasions. She denied any knowledge of Likens having ever endured any beating, scalding, branding, or burning within her home. She'd have been better to say, yeah, I used to beat her ass when she, quote unquote, misbehaved. I know she wasn't, but I didn't know about the burning and all that stuff because she wore long sleeves and the kids must have done that. You would have had a little bit more validity and maybe belief from people to (laughs) at least take some responsibility but to straight up be like i tried to spank her one time and i was like oh i couldn't jesus i can't do this and i can't control these other children from doing it oh my god yeah honey you went you you swung too far left baby come back because now nothing you come on (laughs) jesus christ i just can't (sighs) on may 16th the court appointed doctor named Dwight Schuster testified on the behalf of the prosecution. When questioned as to the extensive interviews and assessments he had conducted with Gertie, he stated that she had been evasive and uncooperative. Surprise! Shocking! He testified as to his belief that Gertrude was sane and fully in control of her actions, adding that she had been sane in October 1965 and remained sane to this date. And we talked before, insanity defenses are bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to be legitimate, cannot be responsive, uh, like nonverbal, non-coherent. Like you have to really not be able to participate with your own defense to be declared insane. Yeah. He was, Dr. Dr. Schuster was subjected to over two hours of intense cross-examination by Gertrude's lawyer, William Urbecker, 
although he remained steadfast that Gertrude was not and have, had never been psychotic. Two days later, Richard Hobbs testified in his own defense, describing how Gertrude had called Sylvia to the kitchen on October 23rd. He testified that Gertie had begun inching the insult into Lycan's abdomen before asking him to finish the task. Although Hobbs testified this act of branding had bought, brought blood to the surface of, his, of her flesh and that she had begged him to stop, he remained adamant the section of branding he had flaked had been light. Oh, okay, okay. I, see, I didn't know there was a difference between light and hard branding. I thought it was all pretty much the same and just fucking cruel and yeah. inhumane. I didn't realize there was a light version that was okay. My I bad. mean, it Your brought excuse, a sir. little blood, but it was not light, like... Yeah, no worries that you type, you know, permanently scarred her that she's a prostitute. No worries. It was like, go home, kid. No worries that she's begging me to stop and crying. Yeah. No worries there. Go home, kid. You didn't do nothing wrong. Not a damn thing. Your excuse, sir. More people testified to the abuse and lack of action, as well as the children who committed the abuse themselves. Another was witness to testify on the half of prosecution, Grace Sargent, stated how she had sat close to Paula on a church bu bus and had heard her openly bragging about breaking her own wrist due to the severity of a beating she had inflicted on Sylvia's face on August 1st. Sargent testified Paula had finished her boasting by stating, I tried to kill her. <laughs> you know, um, white trash is doesn't even thing. describe these people. They're just disgusting. Yeah. On May 19, 1966, a jury found her guilty of first-degree murder while Paula was found guilty of second-degree murder. Hobbs, along with Banaswuski's son, John, and another neighborhood boy, Coy Hubbard, were convicted of manslaughter. How was the manslaughter? I'm just glad they were at least convicted of something. Gertrude and Paula Beneswuski was sentenced to life terms at Indiana Women's Prison in Indianapolis, and the boys were sentenced to two 21-year terms at Indiana State Reformatory in Pendleton. In 1971, an Indiana Supreme Court granted Gertrude and Paula Beneswuski a new trial due to prejudicial atmosphere, but Gertrude was again convicted of first-degree murder on August 5th, 1971. Oh, I'm sure she was. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you, bitch. Fuck you, ho. <laughs> Paula pleaded to a lesser charge of voluntary manslaughter and served two years in prison. The three boys were released on parole for good behavior in 1968 after serving about two years each for their sentences. The fuck? Over the course of the following 14 years, Gertie became known as a model prisoner at the Indiana Woman's Prison. She worked in the prison sewing shop and was known as somewhat of a den mother to younger female inmates becoming known to some within the prison by the nickname Mom. Fuck off. Like, bitch, do you not... Do you not know what this bitch is in for? Anybody, like... Like, you heard this. Pedophiles and people who harm children, they get fucked up in prison. Mm -hmm. How did her information not get out? And how does she not get fucked up? Because if I was in prison, as a mother, and if I had met this bitch and knew what she did, I would be making a shank real quick. Well, let me say, females and males and the way they handle offenders are different. Mm -hmm. Males, they just fuck you up. And, you know, it's kind of like in, in the real world. Um, women are more forgiving than a, a man is, you know? That's true. Men very much see the right and the wrong, and that's it. Us women like to see the gray and well, maybe it because it happened this and oh, you poor baby this. So I feel 
female offenders when they commit those crimes don't have it as bad as a male does. Mm. A male does, a man sees it as you don't fuck children, that's it. Whereas a woman might be like, well, she was abused. You know what I'm, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. But like, that's in any facet of life. Women do try to read between the lines and look for the reason behind things, the logic, the explanation. Women write offenders in prison more than a, a man isn't. Oh, yeah. It happens, but not as frequently. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. When it does happen, I'm like, I'd love to hear about men writing women in prison. I don't know why that's funny to me. It's like. <laughs> I agree. You wanted to have a bitch that's tied down? Perfect. Prison. <laughs> By the time of Gertie's ultimate parole in 1985, she changed her name to Nadine Von Fossen, Van Fossen, which is a combination of her middle name and maiden name, and described herself as a devout Christian. Fuck off. She was released December 4th, 1985, and she never res- never accepted full responsibility for Sylvia's prolonged torture and death, insisting she was unable to precisely recall any of her actions in the month of uh, Sylvia's prolonged and uh, increasing abuse. They and never torment can remember, home. can no, they? No, no, no. I remember her black dad. It was crazy. She blamed it on the pills. No, I'm sure that didn't, that probably did cause some of the memories to be foggy. And it wasn't even like pills like, like, Xanax or some, you know, it was for her asthma pills. Oh, well, no, that doesn't count. <laughs> like, bitch. <sighs> oh, my God, you're so stupid. Thought we were talking some oxy or something. No, nah, no, nah, dog. She was like, my asthma. <laughs> my steroids. <laughs> like, what? Although there's very rare instances where there's a thing called steroid psychosis and it makes people go crazy. And I've seen it one time. What was it like when you saw it? Uh, Well, the patient grabbed me around my throat, so. The fuck? Yeah. How have I never heard about this? She was old, and I raised my oh. hands up to shut her down, and then I realized that she was old and not to do that. I'm sorry. That was funny, because I can imagine you with this little tiny old lady, and she's going, eh, oh, and you're, like, just pulling her hand slowly away, like, no. all right. She was out of her fucking mind, and she grabbed my throat and put claw marks and t- drew blood across my neck. Yeah. Don't get it twisted. Oh, my She was God. off the chain. I almost shoved her ass down, and then I was like, remember, she's old, and she's I'm gonna make you a hip break, bitch. Having an episode from these steroids, so see can't. that's why you're a good nurse. Like you're like, I want to beat a bitch, but I won't. But I know it's the psychosis. Yeah. <laughs> Catch me outside though. How about that? No, How about saying. that? <laughs> I'll break your hip later, bitch. What? <laughs> Who's choking who now? <laughs> she actually lived in. Relative obscurity in Laurel, Iowa, until her death due to lung cancer on June 6, 1990, at the age of 61, which was not soon enough. I agree. So, where are the remaining offenders and children? Stephanie Banaswuski assumed a new name and became a school teacher. Shut the fuck up. She later married and had several children. Where's this hoe live? Florida. Where in Florida? Because my children went to school in Florida. I don't know. <laughs> I know that she goes by Stephanie Circustad. Circustad. I think that's how you pronounce it. And she currently lives in Florida, so she's still alive. After about eight years behind bars, Paula was released and moved to Iowa, where she changed her name and became a teacher's aide. How? 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 It happens even to this day. My ex-husband was a drug addict, an alcoholic, beat the hell out of me, and that motherfucker is a teacher, 
in Ohio. But did he ever get arrested for any of that? That he had felonies? Not felonies. So that's the difference with him. These hoes got felonies. He had drug charges that were misdemeanors, like marijuana's misdemeanor in Georgia yeah. and DUIs. But for me, like... I mean, it, I still feel like... in that profession. But this bitch went to prison. I, and literally was like, I beat that bitch with my cast. You know what I mean? I yeah. broke my hand on her face. I was trying to kill her. Yeah. But I'm a teacher's aide. How? 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 But here's the good part. Um, she was suspended from her t- uh, position in 2012. When they found out? When an anonymous caller tipped off the school that Paula was once convicted of the death of Sylvia Likens. Marie? Could you imagine getting that letter in your child's folder? Hey. Because you know they'd be sending out the letters like, just want to let you know, your child was around this teacher that we had to remove. But do check for cigarette burns. <laughs> Make sure your kids uh, nourished, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Check for etchings on their abdomen. Fuck, and if they're spelled correctly. <laughs> Marie Shirley and James um, Benazuski, they were put in the care of separate foster families. The surname of all children were, all three children were legally changed to Blake in the late 1960s after their father regained custody. Marie later married. Marie Shelton died of natural causes June 8th, 2017 at the age of 62. Which I don't know how you die in a natural causes in 2017 at 62. I feel like natural causes in these days and age is like in their 80s and 90s. 62, you still in your prime still. Right. With medical advancements and shit. Like it's not, it's not the 60s Maybe anymore. she got the asbestos. Yeah, the asbestos. Mesothelioma. Do you remember those commercials? Yeah. <laughs> They're still on. Dennis Lee Wright Jr., which was the baby, was later adopted. And his adopted mother named him Denny Lee White. And he died February 5th, 2012 at the age of 47. I don't know how he died. But he didn't have shit to do with it. He was just No, he was a little baby. baby. He was about, I think, a year or two years old. Richard Hobbs died of lung cancer in 1972 at the age of 21, less than four years after his release from the Indiana Reformatory. Good fucking riddance. Mm-hmm. In the years between his release and his death, he is known to have suffered for at least one nervous breakdown. Good. Good. I hope you did. I hope you're hope burning you fucking in hell. felt like shit. Me too. Coy Hubbard remained in Indiana and never attempted to change his name, which is like... He was owning him. Yeah. Like, I fucking did that. Throughout his adult life, Hubbard was a pre- repeatedly imprisoned for various criminal offenses. I was offenses. just about to say, let me guess, since he owned his name, he didn't stay out of trouble. No, he didn't. And on one occasion, he was charged with the 1977 murders of two young men, although largely due to the fact the chief witnesses to testify at his trial had been a convicted criminal acquaintance of Hubbard's. He admitted that uh, he had been in the company of Hubbard at the time of the murders. He was acquitted of the charge. I don't know how. Yeah. Shortly after January 2007, premiere of the crime drama, An American Crime, Hubbard was fired from his job and he died of a heart attack in Shelbyville, Indiana on June 23rd of that year at the age of 56. Sad. Wow. Mm. John Banaswski Jr. lived in relative obscurity under the alias John Blake. He became a lay minister, um, frequently hosting counseling sessions for children of divorced parents. He died of diabetes in Lancaster General Hospital, May 19, 2005, at the age of 52. Prior to his death, he had occasionally spoken publicly about his past, 
readily admitting he enjoyed the attention Lycan's murders brought upon him, and also claiming to have only ever hit Sylvia once. It was like one time. And none of these motherfuckers live long. And that was, he was a, he was a minister. So that goes to show you, I feel like uh, people in those positions for like a long time were held up in this God status. Yeah. You know, like they're not fallible anyway whatsoever. There are people who are police officers, doctors, um, ministers that are teachers. the worst. Yeah, teachers that are the drudges of society, but somehow are in those positions. And those people are seeking those positions because they have power attached to them. That's what I was them. just going to say. What is attached to everyone in those positions? Power. Authority. But we're giving them like carte blanche, pretty much. The injury to person charges brought against the other juveniles known to have acted um, actively physically, mentally, and emotionally tormented Sylvia, which was Anna Ruth Sisko, Judy Darlene Duke, Michael John Monroe, Darlene McGuire, and Randy Gordon Lepper, Lepper were later dropped. So they didn't end up going to jail or anything. Cisco ultimately remarried, and she d- died on October 1996 at the age of 44, already a grandmother. Lepper, who had visibly smirked as he testified, uh, died at age 56 in 2010. Sounds like they were all cursed because they didn't live long. No, not they're all like dying in their 40s and 50s. Jenny Likens later, remar- later married an Indianapolis native named Leonard Reese Wade. The couple had two children, although she remained traumatized by the abuse that she had been forced to watch her sister endure. For the remainder of her life, Jenny was dependent upon anxiety medication. She died of a heart attack June 23, 2004, at the age of 54. At the time of her death, she resided in Beech Grove, Indiana. Elizabeth and Lester Likens died in 1998 and 2013, respectively. In the years prior to her own death, Jenny Likens Wade had repeatedly emphasized that no blame should be placed upon either of her parents for placing her with Sylvia in for placing her and Sylvia in the care of Gertrude, stating all her parents had done was trust Gertrude's promise to actually care for them until they were returned to Indiana while traveling while with the traveling carnival. The only relief Jenny received came five years after Gertrude's release when the murderer died of lung cancer. Quote, some good news, Jenny wrote to her mother with a copy of the women's, woman's obituary. Damn old Gertrude died. Ha ha ha. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> like, fuck yeah, that's what I would do. Same. <laughs> ha ha. <laughs> Bitch burning hell. Exactly. The house at 3850 East New York Street in which Sylvia was tortured and murdered stood vacant for many years after her death and the arrest of her tormentors. The property gradually became dilapidated, although discussions were held about the possibility of purchasing and rehabilitating the house and converting it into a property for a woman's shelter. The necessary funds to complete this project was never raised, and it was demolished in 2009. Good. The site where it was once was is now a church parking lot. There are actually two movies that kind of go over this, The American Crime and The Girl Next Door. An American Crime is more accurate um, as far as like names and stuff like that, but it completely glossed over the abuse and it kind of made Gertrude appear innocent, in my opinion. So while I applaud them for trying to be more factual in names and locations and shit, everything else was bullshit. Because nothing about her was likable. Nothing about her was acceptable. The Girl Next Door was kind of screwed up with, like, the names and everything. But that one was extremely intense and did show a lot of that. 
how they kept her tied up with her feet just dangling and how painful it was, how the boys treated her, the burning, the etching in the skin. That's all in that movie. And it's like crazy. Um, you mo- you've watched American Horror Story, right? Mm-hmm. You remember the kid that plays Tate? Oh, I don't the watch school's- it that much. Well, the, the original one, the school shooter. Girl, I barely remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> he plays on. he plays the boy who etched into her skin on that movie. So it's not, it was, I don't know what year, but it was quite a while ago. I just uh, want to leave, finish the story out with a eulogy from Sylvia's funeral. Just when I thought you couldn't bring me anymore down. Thanks, Jim. The Reverend Gibson stated, We all have our time of passing, but we won't suffer like our little sister suffered during the last days of her life. She's gone to eternity. And that's the story of Sylvia Likens. I'm going to go lay down and cry now. I was so, I was so hyped when we started. (laughs) Let's go. That's why I said we're going to start with these stories today because it's a bummer. Well, I'm glad mine's better. Yeah. (laughs) Significantly. (laughs) Like, I mean... Yeah, yeah, name. I was really excited about doing this story. And then as I was running, I was like, this is going to be really hard to record. And this is going to be a bummer. But I really want to talk about it because how did this happen? Yeah. How did you get your, like, the kids in the neighborhood just be like, come on, brother. Put, put a cigarette out on her. Fucking fuck's sakes. And, like, the movie, uh, The Girl Next Door, it's kind of like, looks like it's set in the 50s versus the 60s. And all I'm seeing is all these little kids in the fucked up things they were doing it's like holy shit this is fucking dark forget texas chainsaw massacre and and you know house of a thousand corpses and those fucked up families this shit was fucked up yeah and it was happening and there could have been like a million ways for them to get caught and it wasn't until homegirl died Mm-mm-mm. but fucking gertie's dead now fuck that bitch yeah i hope she's burning in the hottest pits of fucking hell I hope she's getting shit etched into her skin. I hope someone's stomping on her, yeah. her head, her vagina. I hope she's going through every bit of abuse times 20 I that too. she put Sylvia through. I do too. If there is a heaven, and I hope there is, I hope Sylvia's living it up up there. Same. And Whatever now that paradise. Jenny's gone, you know, that maybe they're together and they're happy again. I don't know. Fucking, it makes me feel better about it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So, okay, don't forget to uh, find us on whatever platform you're listening to rate, subscribe, follow what? us, uh, get a, get with us on our socials, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, follow in our DMs. Let us you hear have. your too close to home yeah. story. Please, please, please. I'm nosy. Um, sorry for bumming you eyes out, yeah. but we're going to have some better ones headed your way shortly. Becky's got a better one, and then we're going to have like a little bit more of a relaxed one. Just to kind of cleanse the palate before we get into darker shit. So (laughs) until next time, stay safe. Keep your head on the swivel. And don't bring it too close to home. At least not Gertrude's home. For God's sakes, don't. Woo! Please, please. Little child, don't 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 be in a carnival and let your kids just go with that whoever. Takes a lot to bring me down. (laughs) I did it. (laughs) Pat myself on the back. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Fucking heart wrenching depressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you-
you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening.